folks, there it is. The Graham Parsons, Bob Buchanan. Hickory Wind guitar. Hickory Wind guitar. Played by Jerry Garcia and all kinds Jose of others. Jose Feliciano. Tim Harden. Tim Fred Harden. Neal, Fred Neal. <laughs> Jerry Garcia. And oh. Sean Clark, Sean Dave Clark, Griffin, Uncle and Dave. David Cry. Oh, stop it. it. <laughs> Something in the water told me how to crawl. Something in the water taught me how to fall. Hey everybody, how y'all doing? We're back with Something in the Water. I'm Sean Clark. This is Uncle Dave Griffin. And right here, we have our long-awaited podcast guest, Mr. David Cry, all the way from Woodstock, New York. Great to be here. Yes, sir. It's good to have you. How's it going? David has been a, uh, a one of our acts at Grand Parsons Guitar Pool for, can you tell me how many years? Well, I can because I was counting on my way over here. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So this last fall was 15 years. Doggone. Yeah. Wow. That means, you know, God willing, in the creek don't rise, that'll be 16 this year. Yes, sir. So, unless true. I really... Do something bad and unsavory today. <laughs> okay. Canceled. Well, Don't get well, canceled. You, yeah. uh, if you do it here, we'll just put it on the deep end. So it oh, doesn't okay. matter. You know, if you do anything bad or unsavory, we'll stick it on the deep end. <laughs> For 15 years, I guess so. That's when we first met. Uh, yep. It was 08, uh, 2008. Yep. It's been a while. <clears throat> and I remember that uh, you reaching out saying, I'm playing Graham Parsons festivals all over the United States, and you're one that I have not played yet. Yeah, I was thinking about that this morning, too, when I was uh, getting ready to come here, how, you know, there's all these different Graham Parsons festivals or tribute shows, and the after I played, uh, I think the first two I ever played were in Joshua Tree, Ooh. But right after that, I thought to myself, you know, when I would look at these from a, you know, a fan perspective, I would see there's great acts playing and bands I didn't know that I wanted to see and mm -hmm. bands I'd look up and be like, oh, these guys are cool. But it never seemed like there was somebody that was tying it all together. And I thought to myself, like, I'd like to be that guy. I'd like to be the uh. guy that's like the through line through all of them. Cause not everybody can be in Georgia or California, yeah. but I thought, Hey, I want to do that. And I, I don't know. I just think music is, you know, so connecting and about love that mm. I thought, well, clearly Graham deserves that. And that was something that I always from the very beginning set out. And I'm glad that mm -hmm. I found yours because it's hard to pick favorites, but if I had to <laughs> oh, man, be backed cool. into the corner, I would, of course, choose the Graham Parsons guitar pole. Well, that's damn nice of you. And uh, it's a great, uh, it's a great uh, perception that you came up with there to, as to be the uh, through line for all of them, you know. 
Well, you know, anything that anything that achieves some popularity, of course, people like to hitch their wagon to. And then, of course, something I always think about this, like, say, Graham, it's like a niche market. Mm -hmm. Then lots of people want to, like, hitch their wagon to it. But sometimes it's not from... Uh, not the most pure perspective. Right, it's exactly. more like a look how cool I am thing. Yeah. And I thought I had seen some bands or some individuals or some whatever promoters or just different people kind of be like that. And I thought that that was a shame for anything, but especially for something like Graham where, you know, he's not here and he hasn't been here for so long mm -hmm. that it seemed really sad to me that people are trying to use this guy who, mm -hmm kind of had a rough go at it anyway. And yeah. now he's not even here. Now people are being like still using him or whatever. Yeah. And I thought, well, the best way to get in there is to make a little crack in the foundation and bring that love in there and remind mm -hmm. even some of these people why we're here. And then, mm -hmm. but also just put out that big hug for everybody to, you know, for all the true real people too. So I don't know. Hopefully I've done that over the last yeah, yeah. Almost You're, 20 years. You are uh, <clears throat> well-loved right here in Waycross. I can tell you that much. Uh, Thank you. Well, the feeling is mm -hmm. mutual. Yeah. Um, you're one of my wife's favorites. And, of course, you, you ended up babysitting our son <laughs> when, he, when he flew to New York. Uh, well, don't he, tell his girlfriend that I was babysitting. That's right. <laughs> no. Uh, no, he was he, he an adult then, or was he still in high school? I can't even remember what year that it was. It was 2014 when okay, he came he up for a visit to the Big Apple, but he wasn't acting like a kid, and we went out and had a good time, and <laughs> it was my pleasure. You know, it was my pleasure. Well, but we, I know it's we always, always will appreciate you. It's always for that. harder for the parents to <laughs> yeah. let the reins out, but no, he was a gentleman, and he's still a great guy, and as Sean knows clearly he's a killer player yeah, we we're all talking love that. about the drummer for pine box dwellers a little son of a bitch <laughs> <laughs> you can't say that on a regular episode <laughs> hold mind this. you hold it <laughs> you know notice i didn't take a bit of offense mm -hmm. to it it's just you can't say it on this episode <laughs> now he's a cool cool kid yeah uh, don't you call my wife bitching again. <laughs> <laughs> and so keep uh, my wife's name. <laughs> uh, when did you start listening to Grand Parsons? How did you discover Grand Parsons being from New York? I mean, um, I think the first time I ever heard Grand Parsons was in 1996. Um, yeah, I guess it was 96. It was probably a perfect confluence. Um, I got an album by this band called BR549 that's yeah. a great country band uh, out of Nashville. They're not around anymore, but on their first, well, on their first studio album, they do Hickory Wind. So I liked that song, but also concurrently, I had um, that same time I had, Seeing the, you know, when I was in college, I used to trade bootleg tapes all the time. And one of the main bands that I trade bootleg tapes for was the Black Crows. Mm -hmm. I really uh, cut my teeth on them a lot. I first saw them when I was 11 years old and they weren't 
even uh they were an opening band for Aerosmith and didn't even uh really have any hits or anything yet mm -hmm. but I remember I liked them and so then I was trading I was seeing them a lot and trading a lot of bootleg tapes and so at the same time I guess either that summer or some bootlegs I got from that summer there was a couple different songs I was like these songs are off the charts they're not on any album and when I did my research I found out that all two or three of those songs were by Graham Parsons. And then I also had this BR549 album, and I said, Aunt Hickory Wind, this is yeah. also by this guy, Graham Parsons. So being one never to shy away from getting as much music as possible, I was brought up right by my folks. I went out to the mall, and I got the CD that had uh, GP and Grievous Angel mm -hmm. on one CD, which I still at this time believe is possibly like the greatest single CD you could buy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I got that and I, and I loved it. I still, uh, I just still remember how even from that black crows bootleg, the song, she, they did that. Mm -hmm. Um, and just how much I love that song and how much it could make me cry. Mm -hmm. And then I got that album and, or that double album and liked it all so much. And then just went down from there. And because I was used to trading, tapes and etc i was able to get some of the uh burritos albums and stuff that weren't available in america at that point like in the late 90s you couldn't get those burritos albums with graham like unless they were an import oh, or if you wow. went back and bought like a seat found mm -hmm. the vinyl or something so yeah. i you know bought import cds of that and the international <clears throat> submarine band album and just kept going 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 <laughs> It was probably about 96 that I found Graham and it was through Dave here. Oh, really? And, uh, and I grew up here. That's how unheard of yeah. people, you know, he wasn't, you know, I guess that Dave, was, Dave has put it in everybody's ear for the past 25 small, years. But. Uh, very small, uh, Graham appreciation society and <laughs> probably just Billy Ray and me <laughs> for a long time. And, uh, there were other people slowly becoming aware of him because we did that 91 uh, tribute at the and stadium. I, and I didn't know that. you then. And that Mark yeah. Holland guy had his little Mark Holland newsletter had the, thing the, uh, uh, and whatnot. The newsletter, and he also had the uh, Graham's Place. That hostel, yeah. The hostel down in, in Tampa. Tampa. And uh, so we had met Mark along about that same time and. He came up to that 91 tribute, which was uh, sponsored by the Ware County, uh, Waycross Ware County Chamber of Commerce. And uh, <clears throat> um, beyond that, nothing happened until my backyard that year that we pit threw down on 1998 guitar pool and then 99, 2000, four years in the backyard, and then we started doing it in the public. And, 2002 and it all has just kept on going you know and okay. uh so this year is 25 to, uh, 26 actually. 26 oh yeah. okay 26 coming up and uh Lord, not now, do you? But I played every one of them, David. <laughs> okay, well that's as hey, but, it should be. Hey, but, uh, <laughs> that's still a good. That's still a good that. run, though. I mean, yeah. Well, I remember. Well, I remember the year when I realized I had at that point done half. You know, I was like, okay, this year I did half, so I knew that from that point on it was all 
you know, I was winning. <laughs> yeah. Well, you'll forevermore be in cutting that margin. Exactly. Yeah. Forevermore. <laughs> yeah, well, we're going to get into a little bit more talk about all of that. Uh, so you saying that your parents were very instrumental in uh, in guiding you musically. Did they have albums? Well, I, I, yeah, I did luck out because uh, – both my mom and my dad when they were together, but also when they split up, both of them, and then also my stepfather and my stepmom, all four of these, you know, parental figures mm -hmm. love music. Mm -hmm. um, so there was a lot of records and a lot of things. My stepdad plays guitar. Um, but like my dad and my mom, when they were married and lived in San Francisco, they lived next door to Janis Joplin, like like in an apartment building wow. in the apartment exactly next door. So I grew up just hearing a lot of crazy stories about mostly my mom wouldn't tell the stories too much, but my dad, this was one of his great joys in life. Um, so he would tell me a lot of cool stories about going to parties at her house or, you know, she'd, come over and be like, Fritzy, I'm too drunk to get to the Avalon. I need you to drive me to my gig. <laughs> this was all when she was still in Big Brother. So mm -hmm. in like San Francisco, she was already a legend, but mm -hmm. in the rest of the world, she was just making her way. Mm -hmm. um, so I always heard all those cool stories. My dad also uh, sometimes for extra cash would like hang up fly posters or flyers for like Avalon and Winterland, ballroom mm -hmm. shows, Fillmore, Family Dog, all that stuff. And he always saved a couple. And uh, so then at one point in my life, he gave me all of those old posters and flyers, probably about a hundred of them. And I just always remember being like, this art is awesome. This music is awesome. And um, I mean, another big thing is when I would be traveling back and forth between my parents' house, which parents' house is which was about an hour. Um, usually my dad would take me and we'd ride in the car and we'd listen to albums and then we'd talk about them. You know, yeah. we talk about, uh, my dad was a pretty sp spiritual philosophical guy. So I remember we'd like listen to an album and then we'd like turn off the music and then Analyze. we'd discuss the lyrics yeah. and mm -hmm. some of the ideas. And he would tell me a lot of, personal stuff that songs brought up for him. And, you know, mm. I might've been in, you know, from like fifth grade to 12th grade, but I remember having pretty deep conversations with my dad yes. when I'm like a little kid, not even thinking about relationships. And he'd be like, think about these lyrics. This is what it does to me. And so I just always uh, put a lot of validity in music and feelings and thought. Mm -hmm. When'd you, when'd you play? begin playing was it because of him um uh, i started playing guitar a little bit in middle school my stepdad showed me some stuff because he's a really good acoustic picker and has a lot of old martins he showed mm -hmm. me a little bit but i was too much in my you know whatever like school phase hanging out with my buddies so then it wasn't until i went to college i remembered a little bit and had some charts and stuff but then you know, I guess when I was there, when I was like 18, you know, other guys in the dorm played guitar. And so then I thought like, oh, I could learn a little bit more or I did always like singing in my room. So I was thinking probably more realistically than like, oh, maybe I could be the singer in some band with these other guys. 
But then, of course, it's a lot easier to play guitar when there's two people. So mm -hmm. people started being like, oh, do this and do this. Then you can sing a song and I'll do all this other stuff. And it all kind of just started gelling. Mm. Um, and probably a little bit, I would think like Sean, like when I was growing up, ever since I was a little kid, all I did was draw. Um, like when I graduated high school, everybody much pretty much thought I was going to be a professional comic book artist because mm -hmm. there were because at that point everyone was pretty much like there's only four professional comic book artists that are better than you. Um, oh, yeah. so everybody thought that, but then I didn't do that. So then it actually all worked around perfect that then kind of, I was working on music. I was still drawing. Finally it all came together. And then luckily I like Sean with his pine box dwellers stuff, you know, I didn't have to go. Hey man, can I pay you a bunch of money to draw right. this thing? And this is kind of what I want it to look like. And oh wait, can you tweak yeah. that? Can you do this? I was just like, I'll draw what I want. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I don't know. I, for me, that's also very fulfilling to put out like a whole piece of artwork that's been mm -hmm. thought out musically, lyrically, visually, mm -hmm. and not have to like hope somebody interpreted your idea. I almost with this uh, past album we're about to come out with, uh, I almost reached out to somebody, or I did reach out to somebody uh, in Portland, Oregon, for like some graphic design. I was like, "This is I got an idea, but I just felt like pressured that I wasn't going to be able to finish it. I felt like we need to get this thing out. Everybody's waiting on me to do the art. And, uh huh. Yeah. And I had so much going on. I was like, I'll just get this guy to do it. Somebody I followed. I didn't know him, you know. Yeah. And uh, man, it was not what i expected uh he did something for you yeah but like i i, I had just got that tablet i've been drawing with a samsung mm -hmm. tablet oh cool i just got it last december and um <clears throat> i drew like this i didn't know much about it yet and i was like the time it, i got it to do the art but i was like the time i do this it's gonna take some everything i've been doing i've got to do like ink and then scan it good and send it somebody and beg Fix a friend to, yeah beg a friend to add color to it I mean, all this stuff. So I was like, I got this tablet now I can do it. And I was like, Oh, this is going to be too hard. I'm not going to be able to, this is going to be a learning curve for me. I don't know why I'm dragging this story out, but anyway, <laughs> got this guy to do it. And I sent these simple lines of what is now the thing. And he just like kind of colored everything in and I, it didn't look like anything that I've been following him that I, I liked. Yeah. I was like, no, uh, like trying to explain it. Like this is, and he was just like, look, man, you know, and I was like, it, it came to my, I, I finally went right between the lines. I'm like, I don't think this guy's work is his work kind of like, he's, just, he's oh. like taking stuff and putting it together. And then, so I was just like, screw this. And I did it. And now it's what it is. But anyway, I almost, you know, it was the only time I've ever like almost got somebody else to do something. But Well, it's interesting you say that because on um, the last record I made, I not for artwork, but for photography, I was going to pay this pretty famous photographer. Well, very famous photographer. He said he'd do it and then like take this picture and the amount of money was like through the roof. But I was like, you maybe only get a chance like this once, but then like every step of the way, just like you're saying, like nothing, it's not coming out that great or, Oh now instead of doing X amount of work, I'm going to do half X, but it'll be yeah. the same money. And then finally I just had to do the same thing. Like, I guess you're not really all that into it and that's fine, but I wish you just didn't kind of like waste some of our time. Cause like yeah. you're saying that happened to me on another record too, where everything yeah. was done, but 
but I'm like, I got to make this artwork. Yeah. And I didn't have an idea. And the record probably got held up for six months and it feels really yeah, like a bad to be like yeah. sitting there waiting. Did y'all have to, in, but, in both of your cases, did you have to end up paying them anyhow? Dude, I paid this guy up front. Um, oh, man. But I said, look, this isn't working out. Is there any way I can get, and it was $500. And I was like, is there any way I can get my money back or, you know, refund? Because this is not what I intended on at all. And I'm, I loved your stuff, but this is not anything like it. And he's like, well, from the work I've done already, that would, I could give you back three of it. And I said, okay. fine. Yeah. At least fine. that. Yeah. Uh, Cause I was, he didn't, I mean, what am I going to do? Drive to Portland. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey kid. Book a whole tour just so you can go up there. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Yeah. I thankfully like was able to stop it. Like yeah. I could, I could see. I'm a big believer that when you're like having a gut feeling that like something yeah. is going wrong, like you need to heat it. I think women generally are a lot better at heating that than men. Mm. But I've been, as I get older, try to be like, if you got a feeling yeah, and just, I was getting that feeling. So yeah. I was able to thankfully backpedal and stop with yeah, no I, bad repercussions, but it's just interesting. Um, how, yes, yeah, sometimes I guess when you're a creative, you just have to do it yourself to get it done right and i should have known i was never going to be happy with anything that well that's did, the other you know? thing too it's you like, know <laughs> like when you are an artist you're like uh why didn't uh, you know and i see even people that are way better than me like you try and explain your idea and then it come out because i i think they're like i am when somebody asks me to draw something i'm like oh i'm gonna this will be the worst thing I ever drew because it's your idea, and it's, I don't see it like you see it. And sure, yeah. So some an artist putting out what they naturally just want to do and put out is their best stuff, and then you're like, do something like that, but then you're like distorting their vision by telling them what to do. And, yeah. Yeah. yeah so. Well, it's amazing that both of y'all share that <clears throat> art slash music. Uh, it's cool. I mean, I think um, – I know I'm not at all the first person to ever say something like this, but I think that when you look through history at the people that are some of the most creative people, they're almost never just of one artistic, you know, mm -hmm. execution. You know, uh, Bob Dylan clearly is an amazing lyricist and musician, but then he's also got all these amazing paintings and he's dabbled in welding. acting and welding and all these yeah. things. And, you know, Joni Mitchell, I think her paintings are amazing and, you know, poetry and all mm -hmm. these different things. And, and I think even if you look back at, um, you know, people like Dylan and Woody Guthrie and the, especially like the folk tradition, it's, it's like the, they didn't, always think, Oh, I have to just create something. They'd like open a newspaper and find an article and then write a song, mm -hmm. you know? And if you're a musician and all you do is listen to music, I think you're short changing yourself. You also need to like go to the museum and look at paintings and you need to mm -hmm. watch the TV and read the news to see what's going on in the world. Cause if all you're doing is like in your own yeah. little microcosm of one type of art, you kind of miss almost everything you gotta else. Have information yeah. to decipher. To be and I mean, I did spit stuff back out. I maybe. even wrote a novel one time, 400 pages. I didn't wow. want to, I still don't want to do anything with it. I just said to myself, 
I think I'm going to be artistically constipated until I remove this story from my body mm-hmm. and I don't care if anybody reads it and I'm not expecting anything to happen with it, but I just know that everything else will be stuck until it's gone. So I did Is it. it uh, you know? Fiction. Uh, yes. It, it, well, it's interesting because you were mentioning earlier when we were eating a delicious dinner that um, <laughs> you were saying you got a book by a guy and you're saying that it was fiction, but it was sort of like an autobiography. Mm-hmm. And I think about that a lot because I do love Jack Kerouac and a lot of those beats mm-hmm. who, you know, are putting something out there as um, fiction, but it is kind of like an autobiography. Mm-hmm. And I was definitely inspired by that. Everything wasn't true. Some things were embellished. Some things were a word I made up and love debellished. Uh, <laughs> then, debellished. then, then another word I made up, which is just truth is bellish. <laughs> <laughs> but it was sort of like that, but being posed as uh, fiction, you know, to get a story across, not to be like, look at me or anything like that. You know? Mm-hmm. Uh, we covered this in another podcast that uh, I read this uh, little article somewhere in the newspaper that said people who uh, suffer head injuries have a tendency to be one artistic, more artistic than people without uh, head injuries, more artistic, more musical, more clairvoyant. Wow. And then I can't remember the fourth one just. Uh, plum crazy, I guess. <laughs> uh, but uh, that's interesting to me because I've had the hell beat out of my head all through life. <laughs> you know, marble steps, uh, pecan limbs, baseball wow. bats, yeah. golf clubs, or croquet mallets. Well, maybe all these uh, football players will be like the best artists of our times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe one. <laughs> There was a football player. I think he played for Philadelphia, and he quit the NFL to become a major songwriter. And he had oh. a major. He wrote that hit. I can't make you love me if oh, you really? don't. Really? Bonnie Ray. For Bonnie Raitt. Wow. Who yeah. was that? I can't remember the guy's name, but man, I God, saw him probably. on Bluebird Cafe one night. This big old linebacker, you know, hovering over a. Electronic keyboard, you know. Wow, cool. Yeah, that's neat. Yeah, that's interesting, though. Uh, artistic, musical. I think we said this on the other podcast that we were talking about this, but uh, Roseanne Barr and Sam Kennison were both in car accidents. Mm-hmm. Not the same one. <laughs> but uh, And they became that wild personality after the fact. Oh, okay. I don't know if it. I know Sam Kennison died in a car accident, but he he had something happen to him. Might might not have been a car accident. No, yeah, he had a traumatic brain injury too. I think it was something like that. I guess that makes sense. You know, you get close to death, you think about it, and you go, "Why am I gonna hold any punches? Why am I gonna, you know, be reserved?" I always think, um, you know, I, I I went to college. And I have a degree in acting, and I used to be a professional actor for a while. Wow. I think all of that stuff informs my music and my performance. But I guess what that helped me realize initially, and I still believe and see everywhere all the time, is 
you know, to be able to transfer uh, something on stage like that, you have to have no reservations and you have to be like a direct conduit, but that's in direct dichotomy to everything that the entire outside world has been telling you for your whole life. They're saying, sit down, be quiet. Don't be loud. Don't mm -hmm. be unique. Don't be yourself. Don't have long hair. Don't dress like a cowboy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and so then Don't tell Clint Eastwood. Though. Yeah, exactly. Well, He'll, he'll kick our butts. Um, but yeah, then, so then when you break all that down, then you can finally be free and hopefully be your true self that hasn't been marginalized and controlled by society and adults mm -hmm. and jobs and et cetera. So, I mean, that might, that to me offhand makes sense about Roseanne and Sam that, yeah, maybe you're like, whoa, I just almost died here. Why am I going to, go work at Dollar General. Yeah. Why am I going <laughs> to hold my tongue, you know, when someone's clearly being a right. phony, you know? With Sam, uh, he, he was, I don't know if he was a preacher yet, but he was on that road. And then he went totally 180 and <laughs> uh, he still had that preacher persona. You know, oh, oh, God. You know, yeah, just, yeah. <laughs> the, uh, the intensity <laughs> of a Yeah. Well, and that's preacher. like, I don't know if you guys ever heard this, but um, Ani DeFranco, who's from Buffalo, New York, the reason she plays that unique style of guitar and the reason her voice is like that is because when she was being, you know, more traditional folky girl singer, she was like, I'm playing in these bars and literally no one's paying attention because it's just so mm -hmm. whatever homogenous in the background. Mm -hmm. So she was like, I got to make these people pay attention and get some interest. And now, that's why she's her, you know, mm -hmm. she's mm -hmm. unique. And anybody who plays <laughs> guitar like that is influenced by her. And you, I mean, I can tell who she is within mm -hmm. a couple words, you right. know, every song. So it kind of makes sense like that. You got to fight yeah. to get something unique. And it's interesting that some people, uh, uh, didn't even have to go, go through that process. Uh, like a John Lennon or something, you know, he was just like balls to the wall when he got there, you know, well, and that could be uh, from his mom dying when he was young. A lot of things happened that yeah, made him yeah. like that. His daddy leaving and his mama dying and his aunt raising him when his mama was still alive and when he come to be old enough to figure it all out. You know, then he became this bad boy, you know, and and uh uh but people like that are are well over that hump. Yeah. You know, well, was, and even someone like him at the end of his career People, he saw us write that song, Watching the Wheels, because everyone's still telling him, how can you be a dad? How can you be this regular guy? You know, it's mm -hmm. like even after doing all of that, people still want to put him in a box mm -hmm. and tell him what to do when he's clearly one of the greatest of all yeah. time yeah. and changed everything. But mm -hmm. people still can't let you be free. Now they need right. you to be a beetle. Like he says in that song, mm -hmm. I don't believe in beetles. I don't believe right. in all these other things. Mm -hmm. That's good. Good. Per, very perceptive of you there though. To, uh, talking about how, how most people have been told this and that and other in life, you know, and then you grow up and you cause it was like Leah, Linda Ronstadt always felt like, what am I doing up here? When the people would give her standing ovation at the end of the concert, it'd be like, I'm not, I'm not worthy of this. You know, 
a little bit of insecurity, shyness, or whatever. You know, everybody ain't outgoing. Yeah. You know, but you still put thrust yourself into the role of superstar and star on the stage, you know, and in the spotlight and everything. And uh, uh, about, I don't know what percentage of all artists, but a lot of them hadn't coped with that, you know, uh, and are still kind of like saying, oh, get me out of here, you know. <laughs> I mean, I think Don't it even comfortable in, I think it even know. took her most of her career to feel comfortable going yeah. back to the music that she grew up with, which was mm -hmm. all that like uh, Mexican, Mexican Tejano yeah. stuff, mm -hmm. you know. And she, by that point, she's already Linda F and Ronstadt, but mm -hmm. she's still thinking no one's going to accept this, you yeah. know. I mean, you even look at like those '80s Dylan albums where everybody's like, "This guy's the worst," and then he comes back, <laughs> and now he's clearly like the best. <laughs> yeah. So, it's interesting. It is. It's all interesting to this think about business of music. Well, and getting back to kind of looping it all back to the beginning stuff we were talking about with my folks and mm -hmm. me, kind of going on a path towards music. Um, you know, I very clearly remember that, you know, even when I was drawing and doing theater, it was like I still loved music the most, but I kind of like that old, like, Marx mm -hmm. Brothers thing. Like, you know, I could never be in a club that would have me. Like, I thought to myself, these musicians, they are so awesome. They are so amazing. Like, there's no way I'm one of those people or could ever be one of those people. I'm this other artistic thing that's way less and it wasn't really until a bunch of my friends were like, uh, they were like, uh, dude, do you realize that like every time we go to a bar to see a band play, like you're way better than these people. You just don't ever play music like outside of your house or at like a ra random open mic. Like you should just get gigs. And I was like, you're crazy. And then finally this guy I knew said, uh, I booked this venue and I'm giving you a gig and you're not saying no. And you're going to be there and you're going to do it. And I'm not going to worry about it because I know it's going to be better than most of these other people. And that's like pretty much how I started playing gigs was because these people were like, dude, what are you doing? You are a musician. It's not this out of reach thing. Yeah. You are there. Like, just get with yourself, you know. That was your buds. Yeah. And your buds helped you help put you in that place. Well, they must have been good buddies. They are. I'm a lucky you're guy. Still, you're still around? Yeah, I mean, of course, I got right a now. wonderful bunch of friends like you guys that I've known less time, but most all of my closest friends are guys that I've known since like pre-K, kindergarten, wow. second grade. That's awesome. I just lucked out growing up. Uh, yeah, the town I grew up in, like I live in Woodstock, New York now. Um, I grew up just a little bit outside of there, maybe 20 miles outside of there. And like this uh, liberal hippie arts mountain town called new paltz new york mm -hmm. that's 76 miles directly north of manhattan and um i mean we just me and those guys we just lucked out getting to run around the mountains run around the streets having fun mm -hmm. seeing art seeing different types of people different ethnicities different religions mm -hmm. all that stuff so just when we grew up we got to have a lot of fun we got to have a lot of free thinking, the ability to talk about stuff. Even if you didn't agree with people, you talked mm -hmm. about it. Nobody went home being like, you stink because you think different than me. Yeah. You talked about it. You went home, you thought about it, and then yeah. you went and rode bikes the next day. 
Mm-hmm. You know, so we, I, I really lucked out in, in that way. That's wonderful. And being mm-hmm. close enough to New York City to both of my folks uh, were really good <clears throat> about being like, oh, there's, there's like a great exhibit at the Metropolitan mm-hmm. Museum of Art. We're going down there. And uh, when I was growing up, because uh, my dad went there, I went every Saturday from when I was, you know, in kindergarten till when I was basically in 12th grade. I went every Saturday with him down to New York City, mm-hmm. and we'd go to a philosophy school, and then we would go to museums or yeah. go in the park and do stuff there. So just kind of stretching our mind. Yeah. Well, that's got to uh, leave an impact. I think so. Yeah. I thank my dad every day. Mm-hmm. Did, did, did either of your parents go to Woodstock? They did not. Yeah. No, I think they were back from San Francisco by then, but they didn't go to Woodstock. Yeah, yeah that would have been cool. But my dad <laughs> did see Santana before he ever ever had a record deal and stuff yeah. like that. So. Cool. Well, let's look at some of them uh, pictures. Oh, we got that I sent you and just kind of uh, let's go to the uh, um, miscellaneous pics. I've got them pretty well in order. Uh, yeah, uh, let's go. Dave's to the, photo dump. Let's, <laughs> let's this section is called the, Dave's photo dump. <laughs> <laughs> can you can you put a little uh, uh, what do they call that? Welcome to. What do they fanfare? call that little uh, theme title and music behind it? Okay. It's Dave's Photo Dump. So uh, they should be in order now. Is that 2008? Uh, That's 15. Let's see. Uh, well, 2008 was like a Snively Groves box. Is that all I see? Oh, right okay, watch that right under it. That's 2008, isn't it? This is 2016. Never mind, Dad Gummit. Did I send you? Uh, uh, what crap? Okay, that never mind. Never mind. We'll we'll just start with uh, the uh, 18th annual, which was 2015. But uh, mark my word, folks, he was there from 2000. Yeah, eight through 2015 as well. So uh, uh, anyhow, I just put these up there to kind of remember it all by. Uh, You were there 18th annual. Just click them off in order, and we'll just quickly move through these. Number uh, 19. Would have been uh, that one, huh? Is that right? 19? Yeah. Okay. And Brandon Jones uh, does most of the artwork for both festivals now. Doggone, I thought I had all of them. I know, but I had it. I had it. I don't know why it didn't transfer. You don't have the year he did? I do. I sent them all from 08 through or so I thought uh, well let's get off of this and go to the pictures this is taking too long let's go to the pictures where I had them in order by date a little bit of this a little bit of that 
Yeah, there's a, there's all of the flyers and pictures mixed together right there. Sorry, I thought that they would have uh, landed in order on your on your device. So this first picture, this girl in this picture with you is um, this your first girlfriend? Amy. I'm just kidding. Amy Labor was uh, uh, in some of the early photographs. No, you were actually solo. I haven't seen any pictures. I was just trying to. uh, Uh, These are the celebrity photos. We just look at them. Uh, That's a a beautiful girl. No. (laughs) (laughs) That is the great. Albert Lee. Yep, he is a monster player and a really nice guy too. From uh, where did you meet him? From England. Yeah, he played with Emmylou Harris mm-hmm. after James Burton left the Hot Band. Um, I've met him a few different times. That time was at um, this place called Daryl's House. That's owned by Daryl yeah. Hall. Um, but he's also. I'm sure we'll talk about it later, but he's also played this guitar that I own that's got some wonderful pedigree. Mm-hmm. So you're able to go to Daryl's house when they're taping, or is that? Uh, um, does he have he an has, audience during that? He has, I guess, the place where he tapes the show, which I think is actually like at his house. Mm. But then he opened this club oh, that's okay. also called Daryl's House. That gotcha. used to be a different club um, that I've played out a bunch. Oh, you know. okay. Yes. <clears throat> I didn't realize we were going to have a little photo gallery. This is fun. Mm-hmm. Ah. Mm. Well, this is my good buddy, Bob Buchanan, who was in the new Christie Minstrels and then went on to play with Graham Parsons and the International Submarine Band. Um, that's us at his house in Saginaw, Michigan, with his two dogs, Murphy and Sophie. Um, Bob changed my life uh, with his big heart and his generosity and love of music. He... Uh, bequeathed me a guitar that was his that him and Graham used to record the safe at home album and that they wrote hickory wind on some other people also played that guitar on the safe at home album like glenn campbell um and yeah so i have this guitar there's a big thing you can read about it on my website davidkraai.com You'll see up at the top, there's a tab that says Hickory Wind Guitar. Mm-hmm. And it talks about that guitar and, and Bob and how I got it and how all that happened and some of the adventures that the guitar had before it came into my possession, as well as some of the many adventures we had since I've been its custodian. Cool. Um, and that picture was cool. maybe from... August or September 2014, mm-hmm. Bob passed away uh, just a little over a year ago now. Mm. Yeah, that was uh, remarkable. And I think 
you brought that guitar with you along today. Yes, we've so, got it here today, and it's been at many yeah. uh, Graham Parsons Guitar Pole and mm -hmm. other wonderful places, too. Um, and since I got it, I've, besides bringing it to places like Waycross for mm -hmm. fans to hear and for other pickers to get a chance to play, I, you know, I've gone out of my way to try to get it to anyone who would be able to have a emotional it. experience mm -hmm. with it as well. So since I've had it, I got it to Emmy Lou and Albert Lee and Marty Stewart and Rich Robinson from the Black Crows and a whole bunch of other people. Um, yeah. And Emmy Charlie Lee. Starr played it last year. Oh, yes, he did. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. That was fun, yeah. And, yeah, I mean, it's always a special moment for everybody to play it mm -hmm. that cares about something like that. Emmy Lou was, we were alone, just the two of us sitting as close as Sean and Dave are right now. And she was crying, which mm. was very powerful. I wow. had to be a gentleman and avert my eyes just, mm. <laughs> you know. but she said it was something she would never forget. And I hope that's true. Cause she's somebody I'll never forget oh, yeah. either. She, she, she's, she's as real as it gets. Cool. What year did Bob come to the festival? That was, uh, was Charlie oh, nine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was Charlie Lubin would have been oh, 09, yeah. All right. Uh, That's Davy Gravy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this was, um, I was telling you guys a little bit before in the green room that uh, Woodstock, New York, is actually the oldest artist colony in the country uh the arts colony there is called Birdcliff, and it was founded mm -hmm. i think in 1903 maybe it was 1902 though but um so tons of artistic people have been coming to woodstock ever since then and we keep that going now uh in many ways but one way that you can see right <clears throat> over wavy gravy shoulders the woodstock film festival mm -hmm. and this was um like a special screening of a documentary on wavy gravy that I got to go to. And how could I turn down making an awesome picture like this? <laughs> That's, cool. That's, cool. That's, great. That's on my fridge as well. His eyes still twinkle. <laughs> He's a character. Really? Oh, there he is. And yeah. There's Chris Christofferson. This was at, um, a wonderful festival that happens by us. Um, when I when I moved out of the the area that I grew up in and that Woodstock, where I live now, is in, is an area of New York State called the Hudson Valley. And um, when I moved back from Los Angeles to the Hudson Valley, I said to myself, "I'm going to move back to where I'm from." And doing that would put me equidistantly between Levon Helm in Woodstock and um, Pete Seeger in Beacon, New York. And uh, those are two of my favorite people and two people that constantly influence me. Uh, and this was at a festival that Pete Seeger would put on uh, called Clearwater Festival. Mm. And all the money goes to clean up the Hudson River when Pete first moved to Beacon, I think it was in the 
early 60s, but I could be wrong. Um, the Hudson River was so dirty that you couldn't even go in it. If you went in it, you would get sick. Mm. And um, so Pete used all of his energy. This was when he was like blacklisted and couldn't even get shows really except at children's camps and at schools. He got a bunch of good people like him together and everybody worked hard to get a bunch of money to build a sloop, a sloop boat. And Pete said, when that sloop's sailing on the river, people look out and go, boy, look at that beautiful boat. Why is there a loaf of poop floating in the water right next to it? We better do something about that. And now you can swim in the Hudson river. And he even did a benefit where he made this underwater web thing so people can swim right in the river and not have to risk getting pulled away by an undercurrent or anything. Um, And uh, I'm lucky that I got to play with Pete several times and see him many, many more times. And he always did great things like this, bring amazing musicians to our area at this great festival where you could just see some, some of the best musicians of all time in a really beautiful space right by the water. That's pretty intimate. And um, yeah, I'm glad I got to meet Chris Christopherson, who I think is uh, one of the most talented guys and an extremely handsome man. He is Uh, that. And him and Emmy Lou are constant proof that going gray can look amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Kings and queen of gray. Silver Fox. Oh, and there's Lee. There's Lee Vaughn. Oh, wow. This was... Um, what are you telling him? <laughs> you remember? <laughs> <We're>, uh, <laughs> you got t- my girlfriend at the time was taking the picture, and um, Lee Vaughn had a soft spot for her, and we were just kind of making a little, <laughs> a little joke. A little joke. Um, <laughs> this was when Lee Vaughn was still battling throat cancer uh so he couldn't sing at this point but he is still the only drummer that can bring me to tears with only his drumming i could cry from one snare hit if it Mm. came down to it um and he could be so strong on the drums even when he was sick walk off stage i saw him the only time i saw him was after this because he had just started singing again it was uh at live live oak down there at oh I bet that was great. I still remember the first time he sang a show after he couldn't sing, and it was like a shot of adrenaline straight up my whole body. I remember he said one word, and I was up, and I couldn't even stop moving, and all these people just started dancing, and it was a really beautiful moment. This is in Kingston. This picture's in Kingston, New York, out at a, uh, which is just down the road from Woodstock. Um, Kingston, New York, used to be the first capital of New York State till the British burned it to the ground. Um, but yeah, Levon would always do a lot for the community. This was at a free show he did. Um, and all around our area, he would always be one of the first people to go help uh, for a benefit. And even in my hometown for kind of as long as I could remember, whenever it was uh, Veterans Day or something like that, he would come down for the parade and he would drive a different veteran in his sob convertible every year and um yeah his the, his uh saturday night ramble midnight ramble midnight ramble at the barn correct that was woodstock right that's in woodstock yeah, yeah. yep that's at his house those started out as like uh rent parties mm-hmm. or whatever mortgage parties right because <laughs> uh 
Well, one of Levon's good quotes was, don't let your income affect your lifestyle. (laughs) (laughs) And he definitely lived that way sometimes, but always being a gentleman to the nth degree. Um, So yeah, those concerts started because they were going to lose his house. And he was like, how can we make some money as fast as possible? So they did a concert at his house, worked out, got that paid. Then they kept doing them. And then of course it picked up steam and everybody heard about it. And um, I mean, Emmy Lou, I saw Emmy Lou play there. Mm. I was about and to ask if you've seen, do you go in there? A lot. Yeah. I've been there a lot. I've played there too. Cool. Um, but I mean, yeah, through the whole echelon, Emmy Lou, Elvis Costello, Bob Weir, Bruce Hornsby, Warren Haynes, Phil Lesh. Uh, <laughs> I mean, Charlie Leuven, all, all sorts of, you know, people wow. would want to come play there. It's only when he first started, they only let a hundred people in. Now I think they let about 150 people in, mm-hmm. but it's always intimate. And anybody who is in the audience knows they're getting something special mm-hmm. that'll never happen again. And everyone on stage, whether it's Emmy Lou or me, you know, puts their best foot forward because mm-hmm. you're on hollowed ground, you know? And, um, mm-hmm. I, you know, I recommend that anyone anywhere who's like us, who loves music, that's one of the most special places to see music. Are they still, they're still doing music? Mm-hmm. Fast? Of course it's, you know, some of those bigger names don't come as much since mm. Lee's not around anymore, but they still get plenty of good bands. I think this past weekend, maybe it was two nights with railroad earth. Um, mm-hmm. cool. but, uh, they still do stuff and, you know, you guys always Any have an invite up to Woodstock. So stage coach might get come in on there. up. <laughs> yeah, that'd be awesome. Mm-hmm. Ah, Manuel. Oh, yeah. yeah, and this is uh, Manuel, who made the Flying Burrito Brothers very famous suits from the mm-hmm. cover of Gilded Palace of Sin. Uh, he were he was the son-in-law of Nudie, the mm-hmm. famous rodeo tailor. Um, I do have a Nudie shirt. I do have a Manuel shirt too, but this is one time when I was in Nashville. I've met Manuel a bunch of times, but I went there to just say hi. And thankfully I got this wonderful picture, which uh, (laughs) our mutual friend Howard Seaman, a.k.a. Dakota Dodge, (laughs) when he saw this picture, he said, you are Zelig. (laughs) <laughs> which I don't know if you know that movie by Woody Allen, but it's kind of like the precursor to Forrest Gump. Like you, you know, <laughs> this guy Zelig was like everywhere. <laughs> we were at Manuel's that time we went to. Yeah, we. I don't think Nashville, he was there. But I don't think he was. <laughs> yeah, we walked through and uh, looked at some of the prize tags and <laughs> drooled and. <laughs> yeah. Well, I do remember the first time I ever met him, which was not this time. He, uh, <laughs> I was with my girlfriend at the time and <clears throat> he was being flirtatious with her. And then he referred to me as a shrimp <laughs> and, uh, I had never been so happy to be, uh, you know, demasculinized in my entire life. So if you get a suit made, it's got to have shrimp on it. <laughs> <laughs> because I'm like yeah. Forrest Gump. <laughs> oh, that's good. <laughs> Jumbo shrimp, bite size shrimp, <laughs> and this is uh, it's my dear friend Neil Flans, oh, okay. 
who played with uh, Graham in, in the Fallen Angels. Mm-hmm. Uh, pedal Steel. Yep, he played Pedal Steel. Neil also played for Charlie Leuven for a while, too, and did play with Ernest Tubb and stuff, too. Um, but, yeah, Neil played on one of my records. I didn't know him then, but I, because of how much I loved Graham and how much I loved Neil's Pedal Steel work with him, I got him to play on a record of mine, but we really hit it off, and then every year for the rest of his life after that, um, Neil just passed away. I guess about a year ago or so. Um, Then every year for the rest of his life, I would go to Austin and hang out with Neil for about a week and we'd stay up all night. He had an amazing uh, collection of old country music, bootleg DVDs, like stuff that you can't, I don't even really know where he got them, but stuff that you like can't buy. Most stuff isn't even like digitized somehow. He uh, got some friend of, yeah, yeah, and so he would, he would, uh, he was a bit of a definitely a night owl. So we would go out and do fun stuff all day and play, and then at night we'd kind of hunker down in his apartment and watch probably every night like four to six hours worth of country mm-hmm. stuff. And he would just school me on all the pedal steel stuff. And um, well, damn, I wish I played pedal steel. (laughs) But this was a a good picture, and we would always take a picture right in that same place every year. Um, And Neil's in the Pedal Steel Hall of Fame now, too, and I'm Mm -hmm. lucky I got to be there when he got inducted in uh, maybe it was 2015 or 16 in in Colorado was where they Mm -hmm. did that. So we met up there, too, and think about you every day, Neil. I miss you so much. Such a great friend and a great man and a kind mm-hmm. of soul and a wonderful player. Ah, and there, uh, what guitar? Uh, <laughs> there is the guitar. This is a photograph of Susan Hall trying to mm-hmm. steal my guitar. Yeah, <laughs> like she's doing a pretty good job. The the always beautiful Susan Hall from yeah. uh, North Carolina. She plays another artist at the, the Grand Parsons. This picture was taken at the guitar pool in Waycross. Yeah. Uh, I think that was, that probably wasn't the first year I brought it, but that was. It may have been about. I think 19. that might have been the 20th anniversary. And because of that, yeah. I wanted, besides playing the guitar, <laughs> I wanted every. Every person, no matter whether I knew them or not, just if they wanted to hold that guitar yeah. or play it, I wanted them to do it. So I, think I think that's the year I also got to play it. I knew that it mm-hmm. came another year before that that I never. Okay. To, so, yeah, I think we stood spot. over there for a couple hours yeah. and let everybody get that was very cool. Mm-hmm. Michael Bond played it. I played it. Mm-hmm. Jesse played it. We all got to go around with it. Yeah. But we'll see it live here, folks. You'll see it live. It's a beauty. That's a 1962 Martin D28. That's Brazilian rosewood. I think that's when a Brazilian rosewood was standard on a D28. If my Mm. memory serves me well, they stopped doing that standard in 64. Then I think in 65, they switched that guitar pick guard from tortoise shell to black. Mm. For all you Martin nerds yeah. out there like me. Martin heads. Okay. 
That's good. I wonder whose well, hand that is there that, on the uh, left. Um, <laughs> I don't know. It's, <laughs> it could be yours. No, I'm back there. You oh, yeah. see my oh, hat yeah. right through okay. the thing there. That's somebody that's married. <laughs> maybe it's Sean. maybe it's Billy could be Ray. Sean. No, it's not, I got would a have blood. been a black ring. Uh, it's uh, questionable. Um, go back to the flyers and pull up twelfth. Uh, 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 two thousand twelve. Or 13, uh, no, it's 13th annual, whichever one that is. I believe that's right, 13th annual, to the flyer portion instead of the pictures. The flyers should be all little, uh, they start with GP on there. All right, go to 2013, the next year. Voila. Yeah, that's the year. Okay, so as I said, most of uh, most of the flyers over the years have been done by one guy, a good friend of ours from Waycross, Brandon Jones. But we have bro broken that tradition ever so often. And this is some of David's, David Cry's artwork, our guest. Yeah, uh, that was a... I'll never forget... Learning somehow or another, maybe it's something that is all online. And I said, My God, you're an artist. And you said, Yes. I said, How about designing the flyer for me one year? That's a great one, too. Oh, man, that is Thank you. superb. Yeah, I, that was really uh, an honor and a life highlight when you asked me to do that to get to make this mm -hmm. poster for such a great event and <clears throat> that so many friends you know, now friends play at. So I, you know, every moment I was working on, I wanted to do good for not just me and Graham yeah. and you guys, but for all, all of us are Grammarly. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I guess when I was making that, I <clears throat> was thinking, you see all these pictures that people draw of Graham and you can always tell they're Graham, but it's really hard to, it's really hard, I think, to like catch someone's essence yeah. in a drawing, like yeah. like when you see a tattoo that someone got mm -hmm. of like their dad or something. You're always like, it's pretty close, but yeah. it's yeah. not really it. So I, <laughs> I I tried my hand at one one year and did the poster, and uh, it looked like Roger Waters instead of Graham. <laughs> okay, yeah. So I kind of was it's like, still good though. And there's Ty's rendition, oh, yeah. and and you know, and everybody, you know. The soul of the person is right here. And if you don't get the eyes right. in a proper yeah. uh, uh, portrait or tattoo or something. I've never been good at making it now, look like. And his eyes are pretty mm. unique. He has they that thing like his dad unique. has. Yeah, you know? It's like a hound dog eyes. So yeah. I never tried to put eyes on this. I just thought, like, let's skip that whole thing. Everybody knows who he is. And yeah. in a way, he touched all of us, mm -hmm. so it's kind of like an open-ended thing. That's, that's more iconic of, you know that's him without, yeah. You know. It's like that one that Ian did uh, of the skeletons. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The three Elvis skeletons, Elvis, Graham, and, and uh, Hank. Hank. 
and you you know who's who because of the costume, the you know. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then I just tried to get a bunch of the iconography from mm -hmm. that jacket on here without you know, putting the marijuana leaves and stuff that way, just mm -hmm. that way, mm -hmm. nobody'd be like having a conniption, conniption fit at <laughs> LL Creek when they walk their daughter in there or something. <laughs> Is that peels? No, it's UFOs. But that was really fun, and I, I did originally have a different idea that still maybe really someday if um hold on to it. Don't, if we if I ever do it, it again, me. yeah, don't spoil it for me. I, yeah, I still I still think of it a lot because it'll be really cool if I can. If I ever do it, so that's cool. Well, let's talk about this last festival last oh, sure. year. It was our first one back after a two-year COVID hiatus. We skipped twenty and twenty-one due to the old coronavirus. So we jumped from twenty nineteen to twenty twenty-two, and at twenty twenty-two. You once again played, and uh, seems that you you met somebody there, and uh, you had a little bit of a uh, premonition, so a cosmic American a moment, cosmic <laughs> premonition. Tell the folks out there what happened. Well, I guess if we're gonna get all cosmic, since I think Graham probably did have something to do with it. I mean, one thing that coming down here for whatever, however you want to slice it, 15 years, a lot of cosmic things have happened to me. And there's been definitely uh, at least once or twice where I definitely was talking and hanging out with Graham, which yeah. I know is because I was here. Uh, no, a little bit before when I was on my way down, I was on tour for, I guess about three weeks and, and uh, the fest, this guitar pole was my last shows of that tour. And, uh, I had a a dream while I was on the road that I met a redheaded woman, which of course people like Bruce Springsteen they sing songs about redheaded women all the time. But uh, <laughs> he's but got he's got a good one. <laughs> he does, he does. Um, but that dream caught me a little off guard because that had never been something that was uh, really in my wheelhouse. So I took notice and I didn't really know what was going on. And then after I played. Uh, and after we saw Charlie Starr and everything, somebody came up behind me and I was wearing a nudie shirt and uh, a different cowboy hat, but I was, as I like to say, all cowboyed out. <laughs> and, uh, and somebody came up behind me and said, you are dressed really sharp and you're a handsome, a really handsome man. And I turned around and it was a gorgeous redheaded woman. <laughs> and uh, I thought that was exceptionally cosmic. And I thought to myself right there, like, well, man, this is, uh, this is probably really something. And then thankfully as the weekend progressed and now as life has progressed over the last uh, six months or so, mm -hmm. thankfully that's my girlfriend. And, and I do feel, uh, I feel like she's my soulmate. So. That's I, awesome. I, That's great. I, uh, I think a beautiful, and it turned out concurrently that about the same time I had that dream, she had actually, uh, being a spiritual person, not necessarily a religious person, but she still prayed and said, I just want to find the person I'm supposed to be with and someone that's going to treat me right and that I can treat right. And it was about the same time. And, uh, 
she said when she saw me across that field, she didn't even know I had played at the festival, but that she felt a pull that she had never felt before in her life, um, that she had to go talk to me. So, of course, anybody can believe whatever they want, but I'm going with full-on <laughs> cosmic, you know, Graham, uh, Parsons yeah. Graham Parsons, Romeo and Juliet story. Yeah. Um, Doing some puppeteering. So thankfully now it's been this long and everything still feels not, not even just as amazing, even more amazing. So forever, uh, as much as Waycross and you guys and the guitar pole is always one of the most things that I cherish in my life now, it has gotten even higher up there. <laughs> so I thank you guys and I thank Graham and I thank this land of the trembling earth for giving us a place to meet and giving us more ways all of us to connect and yeah. share in love and connectedness and togetherness. Well, I appreciate right. you uh, uh, telling that story. That's uh, sometimes that might be a little, a little like uh, too much information somebody wants to throw out there, but uh, that's, I loved it when I heard it the first time, and I thought that it'd be good for the podcast. Well, too. thank you. No, I mean, uh, people need to be, especially like you said after COVID, where um, no matter, I don't like no matter what you think politically or medically mm. or anything, I think we can all agree that the world went through a lot. And unfortunately, a lot of people, instead of coming together, were finding ways to find separation between yeah. people. Yeah. When, when pandemic first hit, I thought to myself, um, well, this might be really good. I think this, I thought this is going to be great. Everyone's going to realize we can all die. We can all get sick. We're all the same. We're all in this together. Mm -hmm. But then unfortunately it seems like a large swath of people just due to fear or mm -hmm. whatever. Um, yeah. We're trying to find ways or falling prey to believing ways of division between us. Whereas yeah. as like Pete Seeger would say, you know, if everyone's singing at the same time, we can get it done together. If all the little people got together, we can, you can beat anything, you know? Um, and I just think it's good. Sorry to bring it back around. I think it's good to, rem to remind people of togetherness of love that people want all people want. I think most people that have their heads screwed on straight all want the same thing. They want to feel love. They want to give their love to someone. They want to have food. They want to have a house. They want to have friends. They want to have a drink. They want to express themselves. Um, and that story, as opposed to making me shy, makes me hope that someone would hear it and go, there is still a chance for togetherness. There is still love. Like, you know, you, I always hear people, you know, people love to be like, Oh, I'm a hopeless romantic. That's like, in my opinion, that's kind of like already losing the game before you even like left the starting line. So I used to always say, well, and I guess I still am, but I'm a hopeful romantic, yeah. you know, I, I believe it can happen and I believe it's out there. We just need to like all this stuff we were talking about with acting or performance. It's like, you need to break down all those fears and control. And when that happens, then you can be free. And if we all listen and remember that we're all the same and we all need the same things, then we can be together. And, and I hope that that story 
just makes some people re-believe in love mm-hmm. and reminds some people that, you know, put down the toilet seat, wash the dishes, <laughs> you know, just do all the little stuff because love and togetherness is a very beautiful, special thing that you can't count on. You know, we could all right now, if any of us wanted to leave this room and we needed five bucks, we could go figure it out. Even if we just went and played guitar for a few mm-hmm. minutes or just ate our shame and asked some people for money. You can get more money. Mm-hmm. If you need to get a car, you can go rent a car, whatever, but you can't just find love. You can't just find a friend because you want to, you have to actively work at it. And um, thankfully I think over all the years I've been alive, which is growing further and further. And thankfully because of wonderful stuff from my parents and friends like you guys, you know, but my dad taking me to a philosophy school and stuff, think I've always been a searcher. I'm not afraid just like touring or whatever to put in the hard work. And if you do that with a relationship, you speak your truth. You don't hot, you don't go, I'm not going to tell my wife about this thing. Cause then I'll have to put up with some stuff. It's like, mm. that's creating more of a division. So mm. just reminding people love is real. Love is everything. Love can go on and on. Um, you know, like when my dad died, a lot, the big thing that I processed to, you know, qualify that in my mind is I realized that now he entered a timeless state. Mm-hmm. When he was alive, everything could be judged by, oh, we went, we saw a movie and we laughed, or we went to see Levon together and had a good time. But it was all these tangible things that are based mm-hmm. in here. Now it's something timeless. That love can go on forever. That man will live forever as long as people remember him, which I know I always will. Mm -hmm. So that's the goal now for me is to have my friendship with you guys, not just be for here Mm -hmm. to be forever. Mm -hmm. And whatever that means to anybody, whether you think there's heaven or hell or nothing, whatever, but to go on forever. And that's my goal for love in general for all the people I love and care about. Very eloquently and beautifully spoken. And and would you consider running for president? <laughs> I'll vote for After you. After the acid wears <laughs> off, sure. <laughs> oh. <laughs> that was well put. Very good. We're going to take a little break right now. And when we come back, we're going to manifest all of that love in the shape of a Martin D-28. <laughs> we'll be right back. That was awesome. <laughs> okay. I, w- I wanted to be like... And we'll be right back. <laughs> <laughs> Something in my brain won't let me stray. Something in my veins gonna find its way. Something in the water taught me how Well, we're back with our guest, Mr. David Cry from Woodstock, New York. David, tell me about this guitar. This is the one, right? 
Yes. That we this spoke is of. uh this is the 1962 Martin D28 uh Brazilian rosewood that uh Graham Parsons and Bob Buchanan wrote Hickory Wind on. Do you know whose it was originally? It, was it Bob's? It was Bob's. Bruce? It was Bob's um, guitar. Okay. Yeah, according to Bob, uh you know a lot of those Guys uh, that were, let's say, more famous than him, like Stephen Stills or David Crosby or someone, or someone like Graham, who had a bunch of bread. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of them, they wouldn't. It wasn't like now. Like if we had a little hoot and any party, we'd all bring our guitars and we'd be out picking. He's mm -hmm. like most of those people would just show up and be like, "Who's got a guitar?" Uh. Now Bob said he was constantly. Uh, paranoid that he wouldn't be able to get another nice guitar like this. So he always brought it everywhere. He didn't want it in his car because he thought someone will come back and it's gone. Mm -hmm. um, so he would always bring it. So uh, at these various parties and stuff, plenty of cool people played this guitar like Jerry wow. Garcia, and wow. David Crosby, Jose Feliciano, oh um, a lot of people. But he would bring this and he said Graham borrowed it for extended periods at times or would take it home with them. Um, that's why they used it on the safe at home album because Graham didn't either have a guitar or, you know, gave it to someone or broke it or left it or whatever. Mm. And they knew that Bob was a reliable dude who would have a guitar. So he brought this and that's how both Graham and Bob used it to record the safe at home album as well as Glenn Campbell who came in to do session stuff. And then, yeah, that's why when they were on the, uh, famous, little train trip, train trip down to yeah. winter haven i believe mm -hmm. that bob and graham took together that's why this guitar was there for them to write hickory wind on so yeah and then yeah then bob protected it all that time from when he left uh los angeles in the early 70s and had it uh with him and and was playing and stuff and um like I said, people could read more about this guitar on my website, David Cry, K R A A I.com. But um, basically, what happened was when Bob made that surprise appearance at the guitar poll, and you graciously had me back him for Hickory Wind, that got him back into performing. He hadn't performed a show. I think in about 40 years at that point. So then when he went back home, he was like I think a lot of us when we go to guitar pole, you know, inspired and yeah. uh, reinvigorated. So he started playing, but every time he was playing show, he got back into it. He'd be sitting there playing this guitar. And while yeah. you or I would be like playing and be like, oh, life is good. He was going like, Graham's dead. Fred Neal's dead. He played this guitar. Tim yeah. Harden, my other buddy's dead. Good he Lord. played this guitar. Oh, this is getting heavy. I'm not having a great time here. So then he went and got a different guitar. And when he's playing that guitar, he's like, life is good. You know? <laughs> okay. Then flash forward a little, he goes, wait a minute, this guitar might have some total heaviosity for me, but for somebody else, it would be a magic. game changer. Yeah. It would be magic. Yeah. So then the wheels got in motion for that to happen. And that's why... I'm just lucky to be its steward right now. This is the type of thing that's going to go on and on. You know, I'm not going to have somebody bury me with this or leave it in my closet when I'm gone. I'm going to find some other guy like me who's, yeah. you know, like I said, Bob didn't want it to be like in a museum. Mm -hmm. 
catching some dust, not being used. That's a mm -hmm. shame for an instrument. How do you think an instrument would feel about that? Like mm -hmm. on one hand, they're like, oh, that's cool for a little while, but I'm done. You know, yeah, that's not yeah. fun. He didn't want it on some rich guy's wall, some guy who's like, oh, yeah, I bought this guitar, and I don't even know how to play guitar, but I love Graham Parsons, oh, so trophy. look at it. Don't Just touch. He wanted it to be making new history while honoring old history not and not be in the hands of some person who was just trying to be like Graham Parsons Jr. or something. So, and look at this. Now we're here in 2023. Well, let's hear David Cry. Okay, yes. Here's a song off a record I made called Country Dreamer. And since we were talking about uh, my good buddy Neil Flans before who played Steel with Graham, uh, Neil played Steel on the song on the album, and this song's called Old Oak and Chicory. Tijuana throws leather boots and a broken nose. Black cat's fur and jackets of sheep's fur, bringing back the smell of old oak and chicory. On Jan White Christmas lights, Leon Russell and a sidewalk shuffle, Martin guitars and vintage bars, bringing back. The smell of old oak and chicory Old oak makes you lonesome While chicory will keep you up All the miles on this old highway Don't make it an easier to say A goodbye, goodbye, good luck A New Orleans, a starlight, and you at night. This hard, hard, and heart, and one more false start, bringing back the smell of old oak and chicory. These thoughts of home, they keep playing with my memory. They're bringing back the smell of old oak. And chicory. Old dog makes you lonesome while chicory will keep you up. On this old highway Don't make it An easier to say A goodbye They don't make it easier To say A goodbye Goodbye, good luck Yeah. <laughs>
I got man, so many things going through my head, you know, just hearing the just hearing the tone and the sound pouring out of that hole. Good. That's and the guitar nice. sounds good too. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Considering the the magic of the instrument itself, you know. And uh tell me this, do you know what chicory is? I was going to ask. Okay, I, I dog if I. I was sitting over here dumbfounded. Uh, like, another uh, kind of wood. No, chicory uh, is like a coffee substitute that's mostly known and utilized from New Orleans. Really? So okay. if you substitute got, if you, coffee, basically. Yeah, yeah, if you, yeah, a different type of like a root. I right, think it right. is. Chicory and, uh, root. That's right. I've heard yeah, that Yeah, so before. if you go to like Nolens and you go to that mm. famous coffee and beignet place, yeah. Cafe du Monde, they sell their own like chicory. We're going. Let's, let's have some. Chicory we, We'll try yeah. some of that, folks. Yes. We'll let you know. <laughs> old old uh, oak and chicory. Yeah, I, so I was kind of writing that song as uh, <laughs> kind of like a... I don't know, sort of like an image poem uh, conjuring nostalgia. So a lot of images flashing and thinking about the emotional impact those have on kind of mm -hmm. your heart and your psyche and your mind uh, with the idea of remembering. I a lot of times think that we remember things um, not always how they were, but how we want them, how we want things to be. And we forget a lot of the bad things and remember the good things and put some rose colored glasses on. Much too. in the same way that Hickory Wind was. Yes. Well, Hickory Wind was the same thing that returned to nostalgia. I would imagery. be remiss that if I didn't and mention that when, I Hickory that when I wrote this song, <laughs> when I first wrote it, I was not thinking about Hickory Wind at all, but then when I was done with it and I came back to it a day later, my first thought was maybe this is thematically too similar to Hickory Wind. And so for, for, for a moment, I, I was going to abort. Like that, but I no. do want to ask, Thank did you. you write that song before you had this guitar? Yes, yes. Okay. I did, yes. What were you going to say, Sean? I was going to say about the same thing. that I, I thought it was... So you weren't cheating. No, it was, I was, it was not. No. <laughs> thematically, it it fits in uh, in in Hickory and uh, Chicory. Yeah, but I, I wouldn't and, have even thought of that just, but by virtue of the fact that Hickory and Chicory rhymes, and then it dawned on me when he was talking about the reason he wrote the song was imagery of yeah. the past. I thought, well, that's what Hickory Wind is too. You are correct. The oak tree that I climbed, and I remember. Yeah, I didn't catch that part. Listen, yeah. to it. I just I thought of, you know, uh, well, you know, smells and and uh, uh, sounds are both very good at triggering. Yeah, I think that smell is one of the <clears throat> most triggering things. Like you could have not like what say you dated some girl when you were like sixteen and. You never smelled like that perfume again, and then tomorrow you smell some girl mm -hmm. yeah. at Boom. the supermarket. Yeah. You're like, you're right back there. Yeah. You're almost yeah. like crying. Or that stuff they put on vomit in fucking elementary. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, usually a racer does. Yeah. Ironically, I wrote this next song about that. 
<laughs> Play us another one. Sorry. All right. Well, this is off the last record I made, and um, <clears throat> this one we made uh, up just outside of Woodstock. We got, you know, you guys got a lot of Graham history up here. Of course, we got a lot of other history up there, and we got this uh, wonderful house up there, legendary house called Big Pink, which is oh, yeah. the house where Bob Dylan and the band recorded the basement mm -hmm. tapes which is sort of like uh, ground zero for yeah. Americana music for people that don't know. And it's also where three out of the five guys from the band lived while they were making uh, and working on the songs for their debut album, which is called Music from Big Pink. It's not mm -hmm. just a clever name. So uh, me and my band, we <clears throat> got in there and we went into this very same basement and we did it exactly 50 years after oh, cool. the basement tapes. And we were the first people to release a record from down there since the basement tapes. Yeah, right. um, <laughs> so all of that is to say, I'm a very lucky, blessed man in a non-religious way. Um, and so, yeah, this is a song since I'm on the road. Uh, I'll play this one. This is a song about the road. All right. Amongst other things, of course. <laughs> Sun dancing down the road. The miles behind will show your heavy load. Sometimes what's real, it ain't what's been said. And all you know is there's another day ahead. song with a new melody Sing me one by Mr. Woody Guthrie Sing me an old song that my mama knew And I'll sing with you And under the line Everything becomes legal in due time When something's too pretty To ever own a part You've got to take a picture of it with your heart a new melody Sing me one by Mr. Woody Guthrie Sing me an old song that my mama knew And I'll sing with you As the moment passes, you can't keep from trying. 
hold on And as it all surrounds you You can hear it singing That old song On and on Sing me an old song with a new Woody Guthrie Sing me an old song That my mama knew And I'll sing with you I'll sing with you I'll sing with you I'll sing with you Your songs are, are reminds me as long as I've known you, um, uh, kind of like what uh, your uh, your dream girl when she tapped you on the shoulder and told you that uh, you look sharp and you're handsome too, <laughs> and uh, every uh, every girl I've ever spoke to at, at these festivals or they're always talking about you, and uh, and uh, well, that's funny because this past year, uh, <clears throat> these friends of mine, uh, Brian and Jesse, they were at the festival. The people who live in Graham's home in Winter Haven, Florida. Exactly. Those yes. People. Yeah. Wonderful people. Good friends now. Thankfully, I'm very lucky. Um, but <laughs> they. Uh, they they were there the night before I played, and when I got there to play, they come up to me and they're like, oh, and we told everybody that we knew you. I don't know who said it, but they said, someone said, oh, you better get up there early when he plays because all the pretty girls love to come up close. <laughs> See? And I said, well, where are they? <laughs> <laughs> well, I always heard that too, and I said, I would say, I don't get it. No, I'm just, yeah. I'm just kidding. But what I was, my point. That's because you're my hetero wife, mate. <laughs> but what I was going to make was that uh, musically too. You always get those songs that you perform. Guitar, you got the 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 mouth harp and all. It's very Dylan-esque in the instrumentation. But your songs are, are just. It's it's like you're. Talk about love and all in the first mm -hmm. half before the break. Uh, they're basic human emotions, and everybody can relate to that. They're they're just right there for you to grab, you know. And that's why you, I think that's one of the reasons you're so popular. The other thing yeah. being your uh, masculine good looks and. Uh, well, hopefully that's the lesser component. And your <laughs> and, and also your sartorial splendor. Thank you, brother. <laughs> well, I really appreciate that because yeah, I have tried with everything we were talking about in the first part, uh, art, theater and acting, music, yeah. just mm -hmm. anything. I mean, and this is just my, per this is what I try to do with my art, but I also what I believe about art, but that's just my opinion, is that the <laughs> best art, 
you know, is an examination of the human condition. And hopefully whether it's a happy song or a sad song or something in between, you know, people listen to it. They think about stuff. They don't think what I think, but it mm, helps them right. realize something about their life. And mm. then they move forward, mm -hmm. you know, a little bit better, even if they cried, but yeah. that made them feel better or they danced around and had a great yeah. time yeah. or they just said, Hey, I never really thought about it that way. If people are thinking, if people are feeling, and we're examining all this great stuff, love, compassion, loss, life, then it's successful. That's right? what you strive for as a songwriter. You put 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 it put down in three, three and a half minutes something so basic and universal that everybody can relate to it, you know. You yeah, can I mean, do that. even the other day I was listening to uh, some Everly Brothers stuff. And uh, one thing that I always like to do when I'm listening to music in my car, you know, there's this button you can push that toggles between on my car between like the track number, like track six. But then if I push this button, it'll it'll have like the minutes and seconds of the track. Mm -hmm. So I was listening to these Everly Brothers, this like Everly Brothers compilation that maybe had like 30 songs. And I'm like, you know song after song i'm like oh 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 but after every song i'm pushing that little button how long is this song two minutes two minutes, two minutes yeah. and five seconds and it's like if you can do that yeah there's a lot, know, of, a lot of information in two minutes and five seconds because i do love bob dylan and i know yeah. when i first started writing songs like some songs that i have that are now like uh two verses when i wrote them because i was so yeah. In love with Dylan, I wrote like seven verses. Yeah, like, and then I was like, you don't very need long that songs. many verses. Now, yeah. he does a lot. Yeah. And on some songs that I have, it did need that, but yeah. not in every song. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah there used to be a point when I was trading those bootleg tapes where I'd be like, if a song, if a, if a live version's less than eight minutes, it must be lame. <laughs> no, that would be true for like Mountain Jam by the Allman Brothers. You don't want an eight-minute version. You want the 33-minute version. But, yeah, you don't always need an eight-minute version of uh, Rockin' Pneumonia and the Boogie Woogie Flow or something. No. Break it down again. Again. And again. Get the drama slum. Well, speaking of that, um, I'll play you a new song. Because this is a love song. And I was just down in Florida. A, when was that? I don't know. It's all a blur. But maybe it was ago. a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Starting on a new record. Uh, and I did some recording with John Corneal, who played with Graham in the International Submarine Band and on the when Birds. this guitar was being used. He did, yes. And we used this guitar. So it was a nice circular moment and mm -hmm. I know Bob and Graham and Neil and everybody from afar I'm sure was smiling John also played with Loretta Lynn and a lot of other people he's mm -hmm. considered the first country rock drummer um, but yeah we did this song it's a love song and so I think with everything we've been talking about today it makes sense uh, it's cool. a bit of a waltz for everybody keeping time too what's and the name of this song's called I've been thinking about our night all day all right. <laughs> the sun's been out Reminding me Of a dream That I just had Not the kind 
kind you find in sleep, but the kind that can drive you mad. Searching the world for answers, nothing is certain, they say. But one thing's for sure In this crazy old world I've been thinking about our night all day The moon was higher The night was clear Leaving space for love when you turned and looked at me, I thanked the heavens above, searching the stars for answers. Anything is possible, they say. But one thing's for sure In this beautiful world I've been thinking about our night all day Thinking about holding you near me Thinking about calling you mine How can we where this will lead us But there's nothing Like one more first time And you gotta go for it in the world for answers nothing is certain they say but one thing's for sure in this crazy old world I've been thinking about our night all day yes one thing for sure in this beautiful world I've been thinking about our nights all day yeah yeah I know who that's about <laughs> Sean Clark oh that's what I, I was getting weird feelings. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, y'all. <laughs> uh, I, I was getting some uh, Rolling Stones vibes with that one. Oh, thank you. Okay, yeah. thank you. Like uh, Exile kind of era. Mm -hmm. uh, well, that is one of my favorite albums <laughs> of all time. And yes. so, so thank you, Sean. Thank you. Good. Well, 
Folks, there it is. The Graham Parsons, Bob Buchanan. Hickory Wind guitar. Hickory Wind guitar. Played by Jerry Garcia and all kinds Jose of others. Jose Feliciano. Tim Harden. Tim Fred Harden. Harden Bob Fred Neal. <laughs> Jerry Garcia. And oh. Sean Clark, Sean Dave Clark, Griffin, Uncle and Dave. David Cry. Oh, stop it. it. <laughs> <laughs> Those little uh, skid marks right underneath the pit That's guard me. here. That was what I did. We're from all of those magic people's uh, talented people's picks. Yeah. And you said in 86, Bob had it uh, lacquered over. Mm -hmm. I uh, think around then. I, I'm not somewhere totally in the, back in the 80s. Over the pit guard, too. Over or the no? actual. Yeah, it, it does feel like it's over this kind of sort of. Which over those this were pit prone guard. to popping off. They, they were, yeah. I, which I think, like I mentioned before, I, which is, I think, why they switched to the black. Because mm. um, I know tortoise shell does shrink. Even Like, if you have a tortoise shell pick, after a while it gets smaller and more brittle and will break easier. So, if you had like a tortoise shell pick that was brand new, Technically, it would be more sturdy than one that's been sitting in your guitar case for seven years. Mm -hmm. Again, more guitar, music that, nerd stuff. <laughs> yeah. I and guess if you I, ever want to go completely music nerd, we can have a whole talk about vinyl records. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll have you back. Definitely. Okay. Special we, vinyl records. We, we could have a vinyl episode we, and just like have a... Turntable. Turntable. And yeah. like we could do a deep end like that. Okay. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, where the... It didn't matter if we're playing songs that whatever. You I'm know. glad I could be a, a good <laughs> yeah. influence yeah, on man. this. <laughs> but uh, you talking about that, talking about tortoise shell gradually uh, shrinking and everything. That explains why they go, uh, turtles go from double wide to single wide. Uh, <laughs> I didn't want to bring it up. In their life, you know, <laughs> if they live long enough. That's why I tried to tell my wife. That's why if they uh, get across <laughs> the road, all right, you know. And live long enough, they'll go. Go. They'll go from double wide to single wide. I told my wife, I know what's shrinking, <laughs> but it's just nature. It's just the way it happens. Uh, <laughs> well, that, on that note, uh, we're going to uh, a tale of the week, and this is one nice. that I that I wrote at one of my early ones. This is one that I wrote in the very first year that I was doing them, and uh, it kind of. Uh, Relates to our guest because I know he's a big fan of that, and we talked. You talked about this a little bit earlier. So. Great, I can't wait. This is a quote from a uh, wonderful Showtime series that I thoroughly enjoyed. Maybe because I've been in music my whole life, but uh, I was digging on YouTube today trying to find this quote on a YouTube snippet, but. Instead, I found this guy tearing this show apart, <laughs> critiquing it. But I loved it. It was from Roadies, a Showtime, uh, one of those Showtime episodic things, you know. And this is from uh, Season 1, Episode 5, called Friends and Family. This is spoken by Luke Wilson, the actor whose name was Bill on the show. It's Owen Wilson's brother. Mm-hmm. They kind of sound like a uh, little bit like uh, 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 Jack uh, uh, Nicholson. Well, you know, 
you know that Graham Parsons virtually created country rock when he inspired the Rolling Stones to record Wild Horses in 1971? Without the man that wore that jacket, the jacket that I'm going to get, you got no Eagles, no Kenny Chesney, no Tim McGraw. And country? Country stays traditional. And Taylor Swift is working at Tom's instead of being out in space. <laughs> Anyhow. <laughs> Nutia Kotlerinko was born in Kiev, Ukraine, on December 15, 1902, to a Ukrainian Jewish family. When he turned 11, his parents sent him and his brother to America to escape the anti-Semite persecution in the Russian Empire. Nutia wandered around the U.S. working as a shoeshine boy and a boxer and claimed to have hung out with the infamous pretty boy Floyd. At the age of 32, he met and married a Minnesota girl by the name of Helen Bobby Kruger. The newlyweds moved to New York City and opened a ladies' boutique specializing in custom-made apparel for burlesque dancers. In 1940, Nutia and Bobby had relocated to Los Angeles where they launched a line of Western wear out of their garage. By 1950, they operated a permanent shop in North Hollywood selling customized suits and eventually customized boots, belts, saddles, and even automobiles. His very first client in 1947 was a struggling country singer named Tex Williams. Nudia persuaded Tex to buy him a sewing machine. In exchange, he designed clothing for Tex. From the beginning, his designs were flamboyant and ostentatious, littered with rhinestones and themed images using chain-stitch embroidery. Among his early creations was Elvis Presley's famous $10,000 gold lame suit that the singer wore on the 50, on the album 50 Million Elvis Fans Can't Be Wrong. I did not realize that was him. That was Nudie that did that. I did not realize that one. The gregarious Taylor created outfits for legendary film stars, Roy Rogers and Dale Evans. (laughs) Oh, no, I I circled the the numbers. I got the wrong paper. Well, I can't give you mine. (laughs) Okay, next. <laughs> Roy Rogers, number two. Roy Rogers and Dale Evans. Okay, we'll just move on. John Wayne and Gene Autry. He was the architect behind Hank Williams' white cowboy suit with musical notes on the sleeves as well as Graham Parsons' famous suit adorned with marijuana leaves, pills, naked women on the lapels, and a huge cross on the back. Parsons' suit is now on display in the Country Music Hall of Fame in Nashville. His list of customers reads like a who's who of personalities, including Bob Dylan, John Lennon, George Jones, Porter Wagner, Buck Owens, Cher, 
Elton John, Glenn Campbell, Ronald Reagan, <laughs> Robert Redford, Monkey Mike Nesmith, and ZZ Top. Many celebrities and dedicated customers attended Nutia's funeral in 1984. Dale Evans delivered his eulogy. Nutia Kochilirinko entered this country as an 11-year-old immigrant son of a Ukrainian bootmaker and found fame and fortune, equal to many of his fabled customers, as a rodeo tailor in Los Angeles. Were it not for the immigration officials in New York City having trouble understanding his name, the world may have never known Nudie Cohn. Yeah. What was the hang-up? Oh, okay. Well, folks, you missed a, a dizzying array of... Oh, yeah, we'll, we'll show them in the post-edit. Yeah, I, I didn't realize... customers. I, I knew that uh, <laughs> Nudie did the jumpsuits. Uh, I did not know he did the Gold of May. Yeah. Yeah, you boy. Knew that. Although I guess they, for hype, said that it was a million-dollar suit, whereas I think it was actually one of the least expensive suits Probably, he ever yeah. produced. Yeah. Mm. It just looked like a million dollars. That's him and Elvis right there. How about that? That was in a, that picture. It looks baggy on him, like, <laughs> doesn't it? But like when he's doing that wiggle across the stage. He is. Well, I love the quote that Graham said about the nudie suits. He said, "We don't wear rhinestones because we think we're cool." <laughs> We wear rhinestones because we think rhinestones are cool. Yeah. 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 Well, folks, we appreciate y'all hanging out with us for this this uh, conversation and music with uh, one of our good, good buddies uh, all the way from the state of New York and the town of Woodstock. It won't get any better than that, I don't think. <laughs> Come on up, take a visit. and Well, we'd like to. We'd like to. We was talking about the possibility of doing a East Coast stagecoach jaunt, you know, well, and uh, figuring it out where I'd love you know, to we have could you take. Yeah, we, uh, we can we, have we, him jump on. We could some take shows. Page Brothers halfway up and then have you meet us halfway and go the rest of the way. Let's do we it. Could, Figure it out. We'll figure it out because, after all, we're so busy. <laughs> <laughs> and while we're figuring all that out, everybody else listening can figure out how they're going to mosey on down to Waycross, Georgia from October 12th to 14th for this next Grand Parsons guitar pull. Exactly. Yeah. I know I'll be. Yeah. I know this guitar is going to be there. I know yeah. these boys Come are going to be Come see the guitar in person. That's right. That's and right. there's going to be a lot of other fun, too. So oh, yeah. Yeah. you can never know exactly how amazing it's going to be because there's an intangible element it is beautiful very uh cosmic yes yeah uh the caboose you know that's out at the local fairground so they they have a red caboose out there this being a train town and that's where we set up the main information tent right there next to the caboose and lynn wrote one of the windows of the caboose got knocked out, and they replaced it with a uh, white uh, plywood board. 
And Lynn wrote on there. No, it was a green plywood board. She wrote on there in, in chalk. Uh, Welcome to the Gramley reunion. Nice. Last October. <laughs> and it's still there. It's been through uh, uh, the agricultural fair last fair. year. It's been through uh, several other different functions that other people are putting on out there, and nobody's erased it yet. Good. Yeah, it was it was holding its own all this past weekend through Swamp Town. So maybe and I'm sure brought a smile to plenty of people's faces. Oh yeah, maybe it'll still be there come October. But yeah, folks, anytime you want to come on down, we put on two music festivals a year right here. Swamp Town Get Down in March and Grand Parsons Guitar Pool in October. Some of the best music you'll ever hear. And it's very affordable, too. Just like our Patreon account. Yeah, $5 a month. $5 a month. Or For the price of the a water. cup of coffee. <laughs> you, can... you can't get a pack of potato chips for that. And uh, it's the something in the water, the deep end. You could save a puppy or you could watch us <laughs> talk nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> you decide. <laughs> and, of course, this regular episode right here comes out twice a month on the 1st and the 15th of every month. You can find it on every YouTube, uh, every uh, podcast uh, channel out there. Uh, on YouTube, on Facebook, it's on our own website, somethingwaterpodcast.com. Uh, it's on Spotify. It's on is it the, is it the podcast app. Hey, how you doing? Uh, I don't know. It's everywhere that you can find podcasts in this fine world. David, tell tell them where we can find where they can find you. You said your website a few times, but sure, yeah. Uh, again, my name's David Cry. That's spelled K-R-A-A-I. Sounds like cry. It means crow in Dutch, like the bird. Ah. And uh, yeah, my website's David, K-R-A-A-I.com. My music's on, ah, there it is. My music's on all the different platforms, Amazon, Spotify, et cetera, et cetera. You can get real CDs here or Amazon, whatnot. Got a Facebook page, all that jazz and I'm always rambling around, so I'd love to see you out at a show. And, of course, since I'm a rambling troubadour, if you got a venue in your town that you think I'd be good for, shoot me an email. Let me know. I'll come see you. Hit him awesome. up. Hey, can we go out with his video that uh, he shot for the uh, 2020 virtual uh, Graham Parsons guitar pool? Yeah. Remember this one. Thank y'all for watching. Come back again. Thank you. Great to be here, guys. Peace. Hey, guys. It's David Cry, and we are right here in the heart of Woodstock, New York, with a little grand history for you. This building here used to be a music venue a long time ago called The Elephant. And way back in 1971, an album came out by Mr. Fred Neela great folk singer who Graham looked up to and so did plenty of other people and I grew up listening to him with my dad but he put out an album in 1971 of a live show from right here that album's called Other Side of This Life and uh, that might ring a little bell because those Graham demos that came out way 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 later were on a collection called Another Side of This Life because Graham did do a few Fred Neal tunes on that collection but back here 
When Fred Neal recorded that show, Grant Mosey right through that door and sat in with him. And he played piano and sang some background vocals on the song we all know and love from the Bird's Sweetheart at the Rodeo, You Don't Miss Your Water. Now, we can't be sure, but I'd pretty much bet this song probably hasn't been played right on this ground since then. Our I thought, hey, beautiful Woodstock <laughs> Day, making some grand music for you all. Let's do it. In the beginning, they rented that whole building now. Now it's a super bougie restaurant, like, like you know, probably like thirty dollars drinks. But I was blind. was working in there then, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's they were like renting it. And I could not see. Well, it certainly don't look super bougie. But we. Yeah, it looks a lot different now. Oh, okay. Oh, how I cry. You don't miss your water till you wear the rooms dry. Now I was a playboy. I could not be true. I really believed I could not love you. But when you left me. Hey. Okay. 